means for us as a church to embrace the theme that God has for us. Our theme this year is send. We believe that God's called us to be a church that sends loved, mended, and trained people out. But I'll tell you what, I've never been to a church that talks about its mission more. I don't know about you, right? I've been to churches before. I've, been, I've pastored churches before we didn't talk about it. I just feel like it's so important because I feel like we live in a world that just starts making stuff up. I want to be involved in a church that has a real clear direction and a trajectory and a plan because I believe that where in a man's heart he plans his course, God will determine our steps, right? It actually says that in your Bible. And I believe that God's determining our steps as we set the course for where we're heading. And I think God's got a really wonderful plan for our church. I love this. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Wonderful. Matthew 16, just a quick reiteration. This was, remember Jesus, it was about two and a half years into his ministry with his disciples. As Jesus was taking his disciples, teaching them all about this walk with him and what he's all about and what's the the idea of his messianic role in the world and what his purpose was. Jesus takes his disciples. Now remember, Jesus Jesus was only really here on the planet functioning in ministry. for He was here on the planet for over 30 years, but it was about the last three of his years where where he was uh, really pouring into the lives of these disciples. So as Jesus was with his disciples, two and a half years, we really only have about a half year left before he's crucified in Easter, that that whole deal where we're on the cross. We get that picture where where Jesus literally now is kind of ramping up his message. Jesus is talking to his disciples a little bit more candidly and using a less uh, parables, using less, you know, a farmer was in a field and a little bit more like, hey, stop doing that. You know, and and a little bit more clarity in, in his message. So Jesus takes his disciples from what was the religious center of all that was going on in, in Jerusalem to up to the, 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 far, the, the farthest way, place he could possibly go. And he takes them away to a little town called Caesarea Philippi up near Dan, right at the foot of Mount Hermon. Jesus is up there. Caesarea Philippi, even geographically, was as far away from the religious center as possible. The religious center was where they had the worship of God and the offerings of sacrifice and altars and all that stuff down here for Jews. Up here was like the full-on, full-blown pagan worship, false idol-worshiping craziness going on up in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus takes his disciples up there. Why in the world would Jesus take his disciples up there? Why would Jesus take them up there to communicate a message? You Remember, when you read your Bibles, slow down a little bit. And ask big questions. Ask questions about everything. Because every question is answerable in the Bible, what he tries to show us in the Bible. I love it. Even geography makes a sense in, in the Bible. Why it happened, when it happened, to whom it happened, what he was saying. All of that stuff matters. I love reading my Bible. I love reading my Bible and discovering the mysteries. How many of you ever uh, look at those little word search puzzles? You know, that has letters all over the page and you start circling them around. Right, if you ever want to get my wife trapped into something, hand her one of those. Because she won't stop. I mean, she'll just, it's, it's a little crazy. It's nuts. Like she'll, she, it's crazy. It'll stop her in her tracks for hours. It, it, and sometimes when I read my Bible, I feel like that. I feel a little bit like I'm stopped in my tracks. And as I was preparing for this message, I kept on reading and rereading and rereading. And I bumped up against a couple of passages of Scripture. I was like, I didn't see that before. Have you ever had that happen? I love that. Your Bible, why does that happen? How can it possibly be that you read the same thing over and then it starts to say something to you? You know why, right? Because the Bible you read is living. 
The Bible says it's living and breathing and sharper than any double-edged sword. Like it just begins to communicate with you, to you, about you, for you, in spite of you. <laughs> it just, it does. It's awesome. Jesus takes his disciples up north and talks to them about something. In this crazy, pagan, nutty place. And he says this in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Love that. Simon answered right. Peter answered right. Same guy, Simon Peter. He answered correctly. You're the Messiah. Now remember, geography plays a role here. Not only were they up at the center of crazy pagan worship, but they were at a place that was often referred to as the gates of hell. It was a place that, it was a big cave and a wall where people literally believed that this false god Baal, or B-A-A-L, Baal, would go down into and then come up once a year, and, and it, was, it was nutty. But anyway, uh, there was also the, uh, an altar, a uh, temple built to this god Artemis. Uh, there was all kinds of crazy things that happened literally within this one little spot on the planet. Just if, could it, if it could be weird, it was there. I'm telling you. Jesus takes them to this place and says... Who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? Now you read it and you think to yourself, most of us just read it and think Jesus was walking through a town called Caesarea Philippi, clearly on his way to something other religious moment or demon casting outing moment or feeding thousands moment or something. But we never stop and realize that Jesus took them to a place as far up in the east as he possibly could. And up there in this place, it wasn't on the way anywhere. It was like a border town. It was bordering on what we know today as modern-day Syria, where, where they would go. It wasn't their land. They didn't go up into that place. And Jesus takes them up there to this border town and says, Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, Well, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, Oh, good answer, Peter. Way to go. The gates of hell won't prevail against this. I think literally he was standing in front of the cave, and he says, All that's represented by this gates of hell moment it ain't got nothing on me. Because what you said, Peter, is right. I am the Messiah. I love it. If you've ever wondered if your Bible declares that, you know why they crucified Jesus, right? They crucified him because he said he was God. <laughs> he said he was the Messiah. That's what, if everyone, anybody ever comes to you and says, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus said he was God. Yes, it does, right there. If he wasn't God, then Jesus, as a rabbi, should have rebuked Peter. Instead, he said, attaboy. That's the New Lance translation. He said, good job. Here we go. This question is the most important question ever. This question of who do you say that I am is the most important question to them. It's the most important question to us. There is no bigger question than you'll face in your entire lifetime than this one. It really behooves you to get this answer correctly. Because one day when we stand before God, he's going to say, who do you say that I am? We're either going to say, well, you were a good religious figure. You were kind of mean to me. You didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted to. Or whatever it is, but your answer is going to determine your, well, eternity. But guys, let me say it this way. Heaven and hell are at stake in the context of the answer to this question. To who? You and me. 
What we answer to this question in every human on the planet who ever lived will have to give an answer for this question. Uh, uh, Crazy enough, we don't get up there and have a moment of pass fail. Crazy enough, as I said this a couple of weeks ago, you're answering the question right now. How you live your life today is answering the question of who you say that Jesus is. He's either your Lord or he's not your Lord. See, when you get to heaven, the question will be posed, but it'll probably be posed a little less like, who did you say I was? And he'll say, I know who you said that I was based on how you walked your life out. Is, is that supposed to terrify you? Yes. It should terrify all of us. It should be at a point when we're just like, holy smokes, I can't just live my life one way and then get to heaven and say, ah, but Lance told me the answer. I know I lived all crazy in my own way, but I got the right answer. He's going to say, hey, look, I told Lance to tell you so that you would change (laughs) there. (laughs) You realize there's not going to be anyone in heaven who didn't really want to be there? If you don't really want to walk this thing out with God here, heaven's going to stink. If you don't want to surrender it all to God right now and go with it, heaven's going to be awful for you. I'm doing everything I can to try to shoot arrows different directions so you get the point. This is the apex of our life. Who do you say that he is? Every Muslim, every Buddhist, every Mormon, every Catholic, every Protestant, everyone's got to answer this question. Who did you say Jesus is. C.S. Lewis popularized an argument that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. 1936, Watchman Nee actually came up with a similar argument in his book called Normal Christian Faith. By the way, if you ever want a nice uh, convicting read, read anything with the name Watchman Nee attached to it. He'll, 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 yeah, he'll make you realize that you're not even saved. No, I'm kidding. Uh, early on in my walk with God, somebody's like, hey, you got to read this book, Watchman Nee. And I was like, well, who's that? That's a weird name. You read it, and I was like, God, I'm a sinner. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a really good read, but it'll tear you up. He writes this. A person who claims to be God must belong to one of three categories. If he claims to be God, yet, in fact, he's not, then he is a madman and a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, then he has to be a liar, deceiving everyone by his life. Third, if he is neither a liar or a lunatic, then he must be the Lord. The claims that Jesus made in the Bible, there's no way around it. He's either a lunatic or he's absolutely God. Come on. I often wonder why Jesus asked this question to his disciples. I mean, nobody spent more time with his disciples than he did. Nobody knew them better than he did. Two and a half years of their life, they all abandoned uh, jobs, careers, families, everything. They all left and followed him. And it wasn't like they were just going to church once a week. They were like 24-7 with Jesus. Jesus takes them up to the Caesarea Philippi and says, Who do you say that I am? You would think already, like, doesn't he already know who they think he is? I mean, was, I got a funny feeling that Jesus wasn't asking the disciples for his own information. I got a funny feeling Jesus was asking the disciples for their information. Hmm. Listen to this. Matthew sixteen seventeen says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, son of John, because my Father in heaven has declared this to you. Now I say, 
that you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't conquer it. The powers of hell will not conquer it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I love this. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're right. Let's go down to this, this, this verse that's been throwing me off. Verse 16. This is the one that got me this last week. Verse, six, uh, verse 20 of chapter 16. Then Jesus said sternly and warned them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. How many of you read your Bibles and had one of those, wait a minute, what? Why in the world would Jesus take his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, talk to them about who the world say he is, ask them about who they say he was, and then once the answer's given, you're the Messiah. Everyone goes, whoo, somebody got it right. And Jesus says, yes, blessed are you, Peter, Simon, way to go, you did it right. Hey, don't tell no one. You Come on now, it's not just me. I'm reading my Bible and I'm just like, wait, what? Why in the world? Like, since he got it right, wouldn't it be like now? You got it right, tell people. Right, like just get the word out. Now we did it, ding, 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 you win. But Jesus says to them, hey, just don't tell anybody yet. There's something about this message that threw me off as I studied this week. Some people think that Jesus said to the disciples, don't tell anybody, because there was a sense that there would be a riot ensue because it wasn't a time yet for him to come out as the Messiah to those around him. Some people think that, uh, that, that they were, uh, some, it was a little bit of a jump the gun. I, I tend to think it was a different reason. See, I tend to think that Jesus told them not to say anything because they didn't have the full understanding of what the Messiah was all about. See, at this point, the disciples knew Jesus as the sick healer guy. They knew him as the demon freer guy. They even knew him as the food truck guy who show up with just meal out of nowhere. They knew him as like this miracle guy. But what they didn't yet know was this Messiah guy. You see, they didn't know that to be the Messiah would include declaring war on sin what they didn't know was that Jesus would have to lay down his life and be brutally beat and absolutely uh, just ravaged in front of the world. What they didn't know was that he still had a job to do. When Jesus says to the disciples, don't tell anybody yet, literally he was saying this, guys, you got kind of the story, but you don't got it all. You got part of the story that I'm here to provide for you, that I'm here to take care of you, that I'm here to give you a purpose and an identity and a mission. I'm here to do all of those wonderful things for you, but there's more to the story than that. And see, dare I say, I think that some of us suffer from the same problem, that we only have part of the story of who Jesus is down. In other words, we like to think that Jesus is our Savior. Yay, free us from hell. That's awesome. He's here to give me peace and provide for me. And, and, and like John said, we can trust him with our stuff. I love that, that we can do that. But there's more to the story of this walking with Jesus thing out than meets the eye. You see, some of us have forgotten that when we surrendered our lives to Christ, that we no longer belong to ourselves. See, some of us have forgotten that this, that this idea of giving my life over to Jesus meant that I no longer possess it myself. And see, Jesus says, listen, I, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Translation, without Jesus, we're lost. 
And see, what, what some of us think is, is that Jesus is this good add-on to my life. He's a, he, he's a nice little addition to my pretty good life. He kind of makes it make sense. And so it's kind of nice to have Jesus, my buddy, along with me, because it's good to have someone to be with and pray with and hope for eternity with. What we've realized is that, well, I think we realize, what I realize is that we have forgotten that he is the master and we are his servant. There's a word used in the New Testament that we don't say very often. And quite frankly, it's because of the craziness of our history. The word slave, right? We don't say it in our context anymore. And for good reason, because our country was weird and stupid about some of the things it did with slavery. But what happened is Bible translators threw the word out of the Bible and turned it into a word called servant. The word in the Greek is actually doulos, which literally means owned by another. He says, when you become a Christian, you become his doulos, Owned by him. What does that mean? Not my will, but yours be done. And see, what happens is, is that we've turned our walk of God into this, I th- this thing that we still get to make decisions about. No, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm not going to be a part of that. And literally, the prayer needs to be in our lives. God, whatever you say, whatever you want, you're the boss. Go down to verse 24. No, I'm sorry. Let's go to verse, I'll just do this quickly. Go down to verse 21. It says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he had to go to Jerusalem. He told them what would happen there, that he would suffer at the hands of leaders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, he would be raised on the third day. But get this, this is Peter. Peter's going to speak up here in verse 22. The same Peter who just said, you're the Messiah. Peter says, Heaven forbid, Lord, This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. See, guys, I think my my problem is, is that we are a lot like Peter. At one point, we believe with all of our hearts that he is our Savior, our King, our Master. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, when trial comes up to hit us in the face, we want to say, like, God, no, 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 not that. See, the Bible that we read actually says in the book of James, consider a pure joy the trials you face of many kinds. We say, God, if you love me, keep me free from trial. God, if if you're for me, then help me not. You know, we we sacrifice God's best on the altar of of what's easy. God says, listen, sacrifice it all. And we're like, "Mm, how about we just give a little? Because if a little's good, then a lot's a lot. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. Too much of our Christian life is, is, is lived in the how to get away with as much as little as possible to get as much as possible. Christianity has nothing to do with a measuring scale. Christianity has everything to do with complete surrender, not just partial surrender. Christianity literally means this. I love this. Let's go on. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... Listen, now Jesus begins to get real. Jesus is talking to these disciples at Caesarea Philippi. He's up there telling them, if you want to be my follower, Peter just answered the right words. But if you really, 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 really want to be my follower, listen up. If anybody wants to be my follower, you must put aside selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for your sake, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? For I, the Son of Man, have come in glory of my Father, which 
with his angels will judge all the people according to their deeds. And I assure you that some of you standing here right now will not die before you see me, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He says, put aside selfish ambition. Some of us have forgotten who Jesus is. Put aside selfish ambition. Can I tell you the actual wording of that passage is this. It doesn't say put aside selfish ambition. It says deny yourself. Very un-American. Deny yourself. What do we live with? Satisfy yourself. As often as possible. Because God would want me to. Jesus says if you want to be my follower, deny yourself. The problem is, is that our Christianity is turned into if it's, if it's fun and if it's safe and if it's careful and if it's within these, this nice little, uh, I don't know, innocuous shell that somehow we'll have this love of God on blessing on our lives. And God's saying, no, it's not easy to follow me. There's a real life devil who hates you because you're made in my image and he doesn't like you at all and he will fight you. When you become a Christian, you're no longer your own. You belong to him. You've joined the battle. Buckle up. See, that message doesn't get preached in church. And I'm here to tell you this, that following Christ is a scary call. It's a scary decision. And there will be a day when every one of us, whether it's here or in heaven, will give an account for our lives. What does that mean? Everything you do gets looked at. Should that scare us all? Yes. Please. This is for keeps. This is like all the marbles. It's not just to get through a good, fun church day. I'm telling you, it's so important that we walk this thing out. I want to I just, and I don't have seriously enough time. I'm going to read this real quickly. Young man Sanctus said to his, young man Sanctus said nothing else as he stood before the Roman governor, his life hanging in the balance, except the phrase, I am Christian. His accusers pressed him again, hoping to trip him up and force him to recant. But once more, the short phrase came out of his mouth, I am Christian. In the middle of the second century, during the reign of the emperor Marcus Aurelius, that Christi- it, was, it, was, it was proved that Christianity was illegal. And the believers throughout the Roman Empire faced a threat of imprisonment, torture, and even death. Persecution was especially intense in southern Europe, where this young man, Sanctus, a deacon from Vienna, had been arrested and brought to trial. Sanctus was repeatedly told to renounce his faith that he professed, but resolved But his resolve was undeterred. I am Christian. No matter what question he was asked, he always gave the same answer. According to the ancient church historian Eusebius, Sanctus girded himself against his accusers with the firmness that he would not not tell his name, his nation, or where he belonged, or whether he was bound or free, but answer the Roman tongue to all of their questions was the same answer. I am Christian. When at last the obvious, it was obvious that Sanctus would say nothing else, he was condemned to severe torture and public death at an amphitheater. Throughout all of it, his accusers kept trying to break him, convinced that he would crack under the pain of their torment. But Eusebius recounted, even thus, even thus they did not hear a word from Sanctus except the confession that he uttered from the beginning. His dying words told us of his undying commitment. His rallying cry remained constant throughout his entire tribal. His trial, all he said was, I am Christian. For Sanctus, his whole identity, including his name, his citizenship, his social status, was found in Jesus Christ. No better answer would have been given to the question he was asked. He was a Christian, and that designation 
defines everything about him. This isn't a play story. (laughs) This is our future. This isn't something we get to accidentally hope to get into and trip into and, and then have a commercial break and get a drink of water. That story could be our future. I am Christian. Every one of us has to say that. And there's a, there's a cry that keeps me up at night as I pray for you as your pastor. It's God, please let them know that this isn't for fun and games. I am Christian. And it affects everything. My parenting, my fun, my money, my, 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 my plans. Lord, guys, we're living in a world that's so crazy right now. And you're in it. My question is, is how would you respond if you were sanctus in that very moment? Because we will be. Jesus, this morning, thank you for the sobering moment. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture, how you told the disciples not to talk about you. It just simply means to me that they didn't have a clear understanding. And God, I almost feel in my heart that there are so many of us who have the same idea. That we have this idea that you're our provider, our healer, our, our Santa Claus. We've forgotten that you are our master, our savior, our Lord. Today, God, would you help us to come to the place of repentance? Where, God, we won't take lightly this call to run after you, but, God, we would repent. We would say, Jesus, not I, but Christ, in all that we do. Did you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed today? Maybe you're at a point in your life when you realize this is for you. And that your walk with God has been surfacy at best, non-existent at worst. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't ever met him. Maybe you just came to church and somehow you heard this preacher yapping on and you're like, I don't know, man, this is for me. If that's you this morning, then don't miss this moment to surrender it all to him. It's as simple as you saying, I'm, I'm a mess and I need you, so I give myself to you. Maybe it's been a long time. You've been a Christian, but you know, you've been skirting the issue far too long and it's time that you say enough is enough. You say, God, I surrender it all. I don't need to get resaved. I just need to get realigned. And I do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Follow me. It means to walk like Jesus walked. I want you to know something. Jesus walked in community. Jesus walked with each other. I love what what John came up here and said, our children's pastor. He said that when 10 people would get together, they could form a community. They could form a, a, a togetherness. Let me tell you this. You cannot journey this walk with God alone. We have this sync up Sunday moment on purpose. And my hope is, is that you would go and connect and that you would follow Jesus by walking like him. And you go get connected to somebody in your church doing something. Somebody like, I don't know if I find a group that makes me happy. Can I tell you, I'm not asking you to find one that makes you happy. I'm telling you to find a group so that can make you holy. Come on. Amen.
Why don't you stand up? God bless you today. Listen, if you need prayer at all, come forward and we'll pray for you. But please go get connected out there. We're starting to stop in a little early because we want to give you a moment to go out and get connected. God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you leave. Sync up.